We are here with episode 50 of the Handsome Hockey Podcast. I am hey. recording. <laughs> I am recording from well, we're both recording from our bedrooms because I was a little sick earlier in the week and we're just, you know, playing that safe. My name is Jake and I am here with Evan. And just, we are your handsome hockey hosts. We, well, we host the podcast, whether we're handsome or not. That I think our significant others would agree that we are. So that's all that, all that matters. Yeah. I mean, you know, we rely on their bias generally. Maybe our mothers would be like, oh, no, no, you're handsome. No, you're really handsome. They'd say it very convincingly. You know whose mom thinks they're handsome, but uh, didn't actually get to see them play is uh, Riley Tufty's mom. He, she kind of got screwed out of watching her son return home to play the wild for the Dallas stars. And, uh, you know, she saw him take warmups perhaps, but then he was healthy scratched at the last possible moment by Rick bonus. And, uh, people were incensed to put it lightly. I guess I just don't get it. Jeff Blaschel did the same thing to Dennis Chalowski last year. It just doesn't make like they're playing their hometown. It's not like, Riley Tufty is like is hurting the, the team. He's obviously of NHL caliber if you're willing to call him up to the big squad. So like playing his play him in his hometown, especially after yeah, the guy sorry. spent like all of his allocation money <laughs> buying tickets for his family. Yeah, something like what fifty thousand dollars buying tickets for his family to come see him play because he thought I mean this was going to be his first game as a call up in the NHL. Uh, in his hometown and uh, got screwed out of it. He actually borrowed money from full-time NHLers to buy more tickets for his family to play and to watch him play. Which is apparently sort of normal for these types of endeavors. Uh, And I think, you know, maybe the older players get some ticket allocation too that they donated to him yeah people were calling for rick bonus's head like far and wide uh for a roster move that like he didn't even think about like he was just like oh yeah you know we're setting lineups we're just gonna you know it was like he was setting his fantasy lineup and he didn't like think oh hey uh this kid's first game he's excited to play and he's got maybe some fans that are going to be there and uh yeah, he, he definitely bore the brunt end of that, and for good reason. Yeah, it's just a stupid thing to do. Like, like right. in, a, in, a, in a year of stupid NHL things, why add this to the pile? Just give the kid his, his first start. You know, one of those, like, minor big tragedies. <laughs> it was like, oh, this, this came so close to be a really uh, interesting human interest story. And you decided you really needed to start Joel Kiviranta, who, I mean, is good, but uh, yeah, kind of a bummer. He can sit for a game. Yeah. uh, Also in interesting 
roster news, uh, Matt Murray was waived uh, after signing a large multi-year deal with the Senators and then just being very bad. Could not have seen this coming. Shocked face. <laughs> also in totally shocking news, nobody claimed him. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so Matt Murray being paid a lot of money to play AHL hockey. Uh, he, there are worse things to, to be in this world. He can give, give it the Ilya Brizgalov treatment where he just shows up and takes everybody out to dinner and then says, hey, this one's on the Flyers. <laughs> yeah, and then he uh, decides to get a really into astrophysics. That would that would be doing the uh, the full Ilya Brizgalov. I don't know if Matt Murray's a astrophysics kind of guy, but we'll see. Also, in weird hockey roster shenanigans, uh, including the Senators, uh, Adam Gaudet was waived by the Blackhawks promptly picked up by the senators and then promptly scored yeah uh, uh adam Godet, michaela Godet's husband um you know he was he was kind of in and out of the lineup he had some moments where he looked pretty decent for the hawks um but they're kind of it seems like the new gm is maybe cleaning house a little bit i don't understand the move a lot because i think he's still a player with promise uh and the senators have gotten him basically for free. They got Victor Mete for free. Like, what is it with NHL DM GMs doing Pierre Dorian's job for him? Like, here, here on a platter. Here's two really good young players, um, and you know maybe you'll make them into something if you can find a goaltender. Um, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Well, Anton Forsberg had like a 43 save win tonight. So maybe they're on their way. Yeah. I mean, anybody in their mom could have told you that Matt Murray was not very good, nor worth that contract. I told um, my mom that in a phone call. I was like, Mom, Matt Murray's not very good. She's like, Who's Matt Murray? And I was like, You'll see. He's not very good. She was like, Jake, I don't care. Is this about your podcast? Oh, shut up about it already. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Uh, yeah, uh, according to Michaela, she was actually um, doing a witchy seance at the time that he scored. Uh, she had his sticks uh, upstairs while not watching the game and maybe, you know, had a smudge stick in there. She was doing some witchy shit, and apparently that works. So keep on doing the witchy shit, Michaela. We're b- fully behind you. Only if she wears a full-on witch costume <laughs> and, like, yeah. has a cauldron. Yeah, I, I really wonder the rate at which modern witchy people have large cauldrons. Like, those are expensive. That's a lot of iron and steel. Like, it, you know, that's a big effort to clean. It, like, I would think an NHL player could afford a cauldron. Um <laughs> And so what did you buy with your first NHL paycheck? Well, I got my girlfriend her witchy cult. And then, like, the rest of the team goes, cool. <laughs> and then um, he magically goes on a scoring streak. And the rest <laughs> of the team goes, I need a witchy girlfriend. Yeah. So about that cauldron, um, can we come over? Yeah. And they're uh, thinking, and like, then- typical hockey girlfriend who is, like, extremely attractive. And it's like, 
this like old brooding uh like grandmother like stirring a pot of eyeballs and they're like maybe we're not into this anymore actually yeah and that you know in typical hockey wag fashion she's like a blonde scandinavian supermodel like stirring this cauldron of eyeballs it's me sorry (laughs) (laughs) uh so one of the more um notable roster decisions that we saw this week was evander kane was waived and uh unsurprisingly not picked up with his giant cap hit but uh, sent to play in the AHL. Um, this in the same week where his wife released a video of him uh, waving an allegedly loaded gun at her. And uh, she was also in their custody case sent for a psychological evaluation um, because she does repeatedly keep kind of breaking court orders to keep these things quiet, which to me, is kind of BS. Like if you have a video of your ex-husband pointing a gun at you, um, you should probably be able to put that in the public domain. And she, she should have been like, oh, wait, there's a court case? Oh, I didn't know. But the whole... We've been talking about Evander Kane for what, like seven, eight months now? We've been talking about Evander Kane for so long now that I just, I don't even know that I have much more to say about it outside of, I just really wish it could resolve itself soon. So I don't have to keep talking about it. Yeah. Uh, And for their children's sake, like we keep forgetting that there are children involved and uh, both parents seem pretty uh, unhinged and, and you really kind of feel for the kids. I mean, I think you know, Anna Kane is, um, she's suffering from some serious trauma that he's perpetrated on her. Uh, but you know, she's in a hard situation and, um, it has acted out in ways that have probably ruined her, uh, legitimacy to some people, you know, a lot of people, think think of her as a liar and and like evander kane's defense attorneys released a video or released a statement saying that the video was a part of a uh photography shoot which uh as a photographer i buy zero percent of what photo session do you do with the loaded weapon unless maybe you're alec baldwin like it didn't seem like a photo session. He's like walking past his SUV in the garage and he just kind of like casually turns back and points this gun at her. Um, But a lot of people have like put stock in his lawyer's arguments that this was part of a photo session. And it's like, um, what photo session you take loaded gun to buddy? Where are the photos then? Yeah, like, that's also show true. us like, the professional photos. Where was the photographer? Who were they? Which would be hilarious if he was like, "Yeah, we're doing a gangster rap photo with my guns," and uh, you know, we're, like Evander Kane was trying to rehab his image at one point, maybe <laughs> by like really leaning into uh, being seen with weapons. <laughs> like I don't know, that seems a little misguided, but I'm not going to put anything past this guy at this point. The, everything makes sense in this case. Like somebody could be like, you know, he bought a hippopotamus and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, he did. And a lot of people say like, Oh, you know, you're all 
haters and you want to see him fail. And it's like, no, uh, actually, we've kind of been actively rooting for this guy to figure his shit out. And it seems like at every step of the way, instead of going that direction, he's making it worse. So, uh, yeah, no, we would much more prefer to see him succeed and be the exciting hockey player that he's been uh, instead of wasting his family and his own money with expensive lawsuits and a gambling addiction. Uh, One of the, maybe the only funny part out of all of this is that the AHL team that he's playing with the Barracuda share the same building, the practice building as the sharks. (laughs) So like, He's in the same building as the team that clearly does not want him ever playing for them ever again. And uh, I was, I was reading an article in the athletic and they were saying that it was like this incredibly long hallway from like the Barracuda practice facility to the sharks. And I was just like, this is, this is beautiful. (laughs) This is a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. I mean, I guess that makes some sense to have your AHL team and your NHL team close together, but uh, that's got to result in some awkwardness. Like, does Eric Carlson see him in the hall and be like, "As long as Dustin Bufflin isn't there, it'll be. It should be all right." I mean, Dustin Bufflin is drunk and fishing somewhere. Let's be real. Yeah. Well, and Dustin. Well, if you are fishing, you should be drunk. Like. How else yeah. would you fish? Fishing is not encouraged. How do, yeah, the people who like fish professionally, like get paid to fish, are you not drunk for that? Why are you? Why? I get the why? impression that, you know, maybe they're sober or maybe they're just like s- slipping flasks here and there. And, I hope you know. so. Otherwise, what a boring ass life that is. I mean, maybe they actually catch fish. So it's not as boring for them compared to us. Speaking of big fish to fry, the IOC has challenged one of the sort of significant pillars of the trans athlete issue, with especially with relation to PHF and uh, ho- women's hockey, as we've discussed previously. Um, they've come out and said that you know hormone therapy is perhaps not the right way to uh, cage who in who is not a woman and uh they've also come out against waiting periods and the uh, phf and their trans inclusion inclusion policy with air quotes um has stipulated a two-year waiting period whereas a much larger fish the ioc has said uh no we're we're not going to do that anymore so it's been a fairly interesting development I think, I don't know if anybody else is kind of connecting these two dots super heavily, but like, could this put some pressure on the PHF to be more inclusive in the future? The IOC, like the IOC, you know, in theory, yes. I mean, I don't, I don't think the PHF is in any way governed or has like some sort of attachment to the IOC. In fact, a lot of their players, uh, a lot of the women's players play in the PWHPA or play in Europe, the, PHF has some uh, Olympians on its rosters, but it's not predominantly made of Olympians. So, um, 
But I mean, in the the global struggle for trans athletes, this is a huge step. You know, this is monumental, and hopefully, it has that sort of trickle down effect to these entities that are you know not as uh, visible as the IOC, where they say, "Oh, well, like the governing body of world amateur sport just said, hey, let's." knock this shit off you know maybe other women's leagues you know and men's leagues throughout the world and you know for us uh in this podcast especially the phf can say hey you know what that two-year waiting period was a little bit misguided we're gonna we're gonna revise that and and we're gonna we're gonna come back with something new next year you can revise policies as mad as much as you want. Like that's the thing about being the governing body of your policy. You can revise them at a whim on a lark if you prefer. And so, you know, obviously it's set for this year. It is what it is. It's a better policy than their old policy, but it still kind of sucks a little bit. Maybe they go to the table, you know, it'd be awesome if they would release a statement saying, Hey, we saw what the IOC put forth um with regards to trans inclusion in their in you know games that they govern we are going to look at that and we're you know we're going to see how their policy and our policy could be more aligned and then they take the season they come out at the end of the season and say hey this is our new policy we waited till they see what season was done we wanted to make sure that you know there wasn't you know there's a roster liability there i don't know but you know, they can come out this next summer and say, hey, this is our new policy. It's the basically the same policy without the worst part of it, which was that two-year waiting period. So there's hope. You know, every time one of these laws is abolished or these like stipulations are changed in favor of trans athletes, it's a good thing. We saw over the summer in the United States, especially that, you know, trans athletes, trans women especially were being effectively eradicated from sports by these stupid ass misguided unscientific right-wing conspiracy theory laws throughout the especially the american south but throughout the united states and you know so for the ioc to step forward and and say you know what this isn't backed by science we're not gonna follow it we're gonna amend our policy that's that's a huge step and hopefully it you know a lot of the political firebrands of the day or political issues of the day are things that people use to rile up their base for 10 minutes or 10 hours and then the and then like something like this happens and then like very quietly you know 5 years down the road all these laws are off the books and nobody gives a shit about it anymore because nobody's stirring the pot, um, right. including the people who were the original pot stirrers. They just don't care um, because it's not a hot button issue for their their folks anymore. So hopefully that can happen here and we'll start to see these laws come off the books. And hopefully, you know, as far as this podcast goes, hopefully the PHF can rethink their their stance as well. Yeah, 10 U.S. states have laws restricting trans students inclusion in sports that's according to uh, NBC news and the movement advancement project uh, which is a think tank on the issue and yeah 
usually I see the IOC as sort of uh, reactive and, and uh, kind of not very helpful. I mean, uh, they've, I can't think of one offhand, but I, I know that they've, you know, made some pretty boneheaded decisions in the past, but this seems to be a good little piece of leadership that they've done. So they've put out a 10-page document uh, called the IOC Framework on Fairness, Inclusion, and Non-Discrimination on the Basis of Gender Identity and Sex Variation. And where this seems to succeed, where the PHF has sort of failed, is it seems like they included trans athletes in drafting this and and the up-to-date science. And, uh, you know, hopefully the PHF can adopt something similar next season or in the future. Speaking of trans issues in the uh, PHF, uh, Digit Murphy spoke this week, um, not about trans issues this time, which was nice. Uh, well, actually, Digit's never actually spoke about trans issues, except for that one interview with D.F. Pendries. Um, Digit Murphy, however, um, spoke up and said that the PHF is at war with the PWHPA for what is effectively the soul of women's hockey in North America, I guess, um, which is a silly thing to be fighting over um, uh, to go to war for. Um, but this completely contradicts the, the words from before the season of the president of the PHF um, stating that they wanted to work together to create with the PWHPA to create a more uh, cohesive women's hockey uh, landscape in the, in North America. So for this to come out, it's just like one, why choose now to say this? Why is this a like an important thing? Like Digit Murphy used to coach in the Canadian women's hockey league. She's coached in the NCAA. Like why why is she stirring the pot? Why is she all of a sudden this like muckraker who like, you know, has to incite a riot at every time she speaks. And like, I have seen, uh, okay. I, I did sort of catch the wind about why it's that she feels that anybody that participates with the PHF is then uh, outcast from Canadian uh, coaching circles. So I think she feels like the PHF is getting the short end of the stick. Um, and I don't know, it's hard not to, to see where she's coming from in some parts of that. Um, I don't exactly like to align myself with Digit Murphy, but I do wonder, you know, to what point she's just like kind of calling the situation as it is. I mean, the, the PWHPA hasn't done the PHF any favors. Um, you know, they're, they're not any closer to the sort of joining uh, that we would like to see into one sort of coherent, well-paid women's hockey league. Um, so, you know, it, maybe there's a little bit more nuance and, and content and uh, really like passion for, you know, her league than we maybe want to let on. I don't know. I think I have just have a big problem with the language. Like, say that then, right? Like, say it's very you know, high school football. Yeah, like say my colleagues have been blacklisted from Canadian jobs and what's when whatever, uh, merely because they have participated and coached in the PHF. Don't say we're at war. Like, 
like she's fucking Norman Schwarzkopf or some shit. Like, like she, like just, just like tell us what it is instead of this like hyperbolic rhetoric. Like we've got enough hyperbole in the world right now. We don't need more. We especially don't need it in what seems like a very detrimental way. Like, like especially after like the president of your league tried desperately to smooth over the word like smooth over that rupture earlier this year like if like maybe maybe they're both working towards the same thing here which is like making it so these people who have participated in the PHF have access and have the opportunity to get different jobs or whatever but like it seems like one is probably a bit more proactive than the other and yeah, she's definitely shooting her own goals in the foot by saying such. And, you know, I can understand the frustration with a kind of political freeze out by the PWHPA and, uh, uh, you know, a kind of process that seems like it's not going anywhere, but it's probably not going to go anywhere faster now. You know, if anything, this hurts her own goals. So, uh, yeah, Digit Murphy steps in it again. And, you know, if that's what she wants to do, obviously there are no ramifications for her actions whatsoever. I mean, she's still where she wants to be. So, you know, Godspeed, I guess. I don't know. Like, it seems like a, a shoot from the hip, like Yosemite Sam type of response to something that just didn't need to happen. Uh, speaking of the PHF, uh, they were not in action this past weekend due to the American Thanksgiving holiday. Currently, we do still have the Boston Pride atop the standings. They have still also played more games than anybody else. Uh, the real story, I think, is the Toronto Six are undefeated, three and zero so far, uh, with a plus six goal differential in those three games. So they're you know outscoring every team they play by two goals a game. Uh, they look real good. They look super legit. Their defense looks better than I think a lot of people anticipated, and their offense is exactly what we thought it would be. Like they're a very fast, fluid, skilled hockey team and if their defense can keep up this pick can keep up with the offense they're gonna be nigh impossible to stop yeah that's kind of the story so far in the season um you know behind them in the standings you have the ribs followed by the whale and then my minnesota whitecaps and then the bottom you got buffalo and uh you know what buffalo really needs is another uh rough start to their hockey team because like Buffalo just can't catch a break. You know, it's bad when the Sabres were better out of the gate than the Buttes. You know, the Buttes, I think, have played better than their record states. They're really young. They have so many rookies on that team Um, and they've played well, but it's just like that takes time. You know, like you're 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 it's a faster league. It's uh a stronger league it's it's just a different level of competition than a lot of these women are used to and so that it takes time to adjust you know i think we what we might see is like the beats have kind of a rough first half of the year and then kind of gel towards the end of the year and then next year they look like this really strong presence but you know this year you know it just doesn't seem like it's their year so far 
the whale got shellacked <laughs> their last weekend out. Uh, so they are uh, falling back to earth. They need to fix things on the defensive end real bad. And yeah, then, and yeah. Uh, Amanda Boilier buried an OT winner against her former team. That'll that'll be a bit of a dagger if if you're you know you have let a free agent go and then oh she sinks you in one game like that that's rough. Switching back to the NHL, uh, big news in Montreal. Um, I think we all. Well, first off, this wasn't the Canadian team I think we thought would fire everybody first. Um, but, you know, Vancouver's just sitting pat. So Montreal decided to stand up and fired everybody. Um, they uh, so reportedly Jeff Molson, the owner of, of Montreal and also of a fantastic beer company, um, had a meeting with Scott Mellenby early in the week. And Scott Mellenby, it was kind of assumed would be the successor to Mark Bergevin whenever, you know, or when his contract ran out this year or, you know, ultimately whenever. Uh, apparently that was not meant to be because after the meeting, Scott Mellenby promptly resigned from his position. The next day, Mark Bergevin, uh, GM Mark Bergevin, uh, assistant uh Trevor Timmons and then the VP of communication, Paul Wilson, Paul Wilson, who you'll remember uh, freezing for a long time when asked about a very obvious question about Logan Mayu, all fired. They're all gone. Jeff Gordon was named the executive vice president of hockey operations, uh, which sounds like a demotion because he's the vice president. But it turns out that Jeff Molson is the vice is the president of hockey operations. So really, he's just the guy below the owner. Jeff Molson talked about needing a uh, bilingual general manager for this position. And so they got around that by hiring Jeff Gordon to be the VP of hockey ops. So um, they are, there are a bunch of names swirling uh, for the GM position. Uh, probably the most interesting of which is Daniel Briere, which would yeah. be really, really interesting to see. Um, but uh, so far, nothing has come out, but we do know that they will be they will be speaking French and English in their press conferences. Although Jeff Molson did not say they needed to be a francophone, just that they needed to be bilingual. Yeah, uh, really interesting because Jeff Molson, you know, specifically said this is not related to the drafting of Logan Mayu, uh, who, if you remember, we talking about uh, was find in Sweden for uh, distributing videos of him receiving a sex act and uh, against the wishes of the, the other participant. Correct. And, you know, he said this wasn't related, but yet he fired almost everybody involved with a, that drafting decision and B the PR on the back end. So it's really hard to believe that, you know, this had nothing to do with this. But to me, you know, hockey community has not forgotten that they drafted this kid after he relinquished his spot in the draft and asked not to be drafted. They're the ones who took him in the first fucking round. Like, it, yeah, hard to believe that's not in play here. Uh, also, the team sucks. Um, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Like, you know, it, when owners seem to act like this, it seems to be not because of one thing, 
Otherwise, we would have seen this whole, you know, cavalcade of clowns cast to the side right away after the Logan Mayo draft. But I think once they got to the season and saw, hey, there is nothing in this team that is going to resemble the fluke run to the Stanley Cup finals we just had. And so, uh, what, 20-something games after sort of meekly playing for the Cup, uh, they have an empty front office looking for a new GM. Like, yeah, it's hilarious. I mean, we all knew they were the worst cup finalist ever. So like, that's fine. Um, I was, I think it was puck soup talked about how their average points per season uh, was 18th in the league over the last, uh, over the, the tenure of Mark Bergevin and for Part of that, a large portion of those nine years, they had Carey Price woe, not Carey Price O. And so, like, <laughs> and so, and all due respect to Carey Price, we know he's going through uh, very tough times right now. Like, we're just commenting on the fact that he hasn't been up to his usual, uh, his career averages over the last couple of seasons, last year's playoffs uh, accepted. Um, yeah. But, you know, you had arguably the best goalie in the world on your team and your best, like the best you could do was 18th over those two, over those nine seasons. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot there. Uh, it, you could, you could probably say this is maybe a year or two too late. Um, especially now that Bergevin has gone out and signed a bunch of guys who have long-term deals who are going to be hard to move. Jeff Molson said he was okay with a rebuild. Like he said the word rebuild as opposed to just a refresh seems like a bit of a stretch for this team since there is some real talent in place um, and some young talent. I mean, Tyler Foley's not that old, but you've got Colefield, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. Uh, you know, there is some talent there. Um, but you don't have just Barry Cook Niemi. Uh, you lost him to a hilariously embarrassing offer sheet in the, in the off season. And he's um, a free agent next year. <laughs> sure, they could they could do the same thing next year. It'd be great. That would be funny. Um, who, who wants Yasperia this year? They, they lost Victor Mete for nothing. A good young defensive prospect. You know their pipeline is not very suggestive of competing heavily in the future. I mean, you have. Like Shea Weber's half-retired, injured corpse back there somewhere, um, and then not a whole lot else on the defensive back end. Um, you you have Jake Allen. I mean, that's that's been he's been excellent in uh, relief of a mostly injured Carey Price. I mean, Carey Price is skating again. You know, maybe there's some reinforcements coming this season, but the future of the Montreal Canadiens does not look terribly good. And that's a hugely high pressure situation. Like if you, you know, the the people that had the audacity to say, hey, this team uh, might not be very good, even though they lucked into a Stanley Cup final appearance with a hot goalie, um, they were maligned up and down the media for telling what would happen. And uh, 
yeah, I don't know. It, it's going to be interesting to see where this team goes from here. Sticking with the NHL, we've had some a lot of bees lately. Um, by bees, I mean boys behaving badly and Brendan biting Brady. We'll get <laughs> to that. alliteration right there. That's the most fun one. So we're going to keep you hooked till we get to the <laughs> toddler fight. That was Brady Kachuk and Brendan Lemieux. Zidane Chara became the oldest player in NHL history to receive a fighting major. Uh, this was on November 16th, I believe, against Patrick Maroon. Good for him. Why people yeah. fight him, I don't know. Like, I know Patrick Maroon, Pat Maroon is a tough guy uh, and doesn't back down, but how do you get, like, you have to get inside Zidane Chara in order to fight him, and he, you can't do that. So, like, what? Just stop. Just stop trying. Don't do it anymore. Also, he's Imagine old. They, like, Getting inside Zidane Chara is like, does he like eat Nathan Gerby, who then like, you know, stabs him and like comes out of a dead Zidane Chara, like through the mouth, like some Noah and the whale shit. It's got to be like Neo in the first Matrix where he just dive, you just dive into his stomach. I'm thinking like a, <laughs> like a five foot 10 Yanni Gord, like, yeah, like diving in and then coming out of him while flexing. People have been trying to fight Zidane Chara for like 200 years now. And I don't think anybody's gotten the best of him. And I just don't understand it. So like, just, just say, you know what, Z big Z, you got this one. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Like, Although I would I think who else got mad and went super saying was uh, Ron Brindamore, who was fined $25,000 for a fairly sort of innocuous seeming mad at the refs tirade um not mad enough that the refs actually complained but apparently it was enough that the nhl came and fined him five times as much as a player can be fined for bad on ice behavior for looking angry i mean rod brindamore he does a really good job of looking angry um but this seems like overkill. He looks like he's three seconds away from Hulk smash at any moment. Like it's like he's, that's just what he looks like. It's not that like, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about much worse behavior and also much funnier behavior. And so the fact that Brenda Moore was fine, the most out of all of this is just kind of ridiculous. So Brad Marchand was, Involved in two very distinct incidents this week, one of which got him a suspension and one of which just got him a hockey glove thrown at him. Um, what should we do first? Uh, let's stick with the funny. Uh, Artemi Panarin and him are, and as we've said, I think multiple times on this, like Artemi Panarin's smile just lights up a room and he's just like such a wonderful, like, cherubim type of figure and yeah, uh, playing hockey with his dog is like one of my favorite like comforting videos to watch brad marchand is obviously incredible at getting under the skin of everyone marchand and panarin are jawing at each other from one end of the bench the rangers bench to the one end of the boston bench and a ref like turns around and looks at it and then turns back to the game and as he does this Artemi Panarin throws his glove at him, uh, which I don't believe I've seen before. 
and again, Artemi, so nice and wonderful. Artemi later came out and said that Marchand said something uh, against Russia, which, you know, that's where Artemi's from. And while Artemi has politics that are not, um, shall we say, fascist, uh, so he disagrees with the current state in Russia uh, and has gotten into hot water with that, uh, it's still his home country. You know, like, well, I think that's the crux of what Marchand said to piss him off. It was something like, nobody likes you there. You're not going home for Christmas kind of thing, which absolutely appropriate to just chuck your glove at him. Marchand to like only add to the hilarity uh, when asked about it after the game must have had this like canned line that he thought of after getting the glove tossed to him. But he said, uh, yeah, we talked about what we had for Thanksgiving and Artemi didn't like what I ate, which like, come on, that's. That's fucking funny. I have said this multiple times. I used to hate the guy. I used to absolutely hate him, but I really just kind of love Brad Marchand at this point. Like he's yeah. Fun. If you're gonna induce that kind of hilarity and then have like a one-liner to back it up, like that's the kind of shit that the NHL needs. <laughs> more, much, much more of. On the opposite end of that spectrum, yeah, he he committed a, a pretty obvious slew foot and got a three-game suspension for it. I think part of the issue was he's basically gotten away with a couple of other pretty bad slew foots. There were a couple over the three years he has not been suspended that were pretty obvious in retrospect, but not called on the ice because they're behind the play or had like some deniability, basically. Whereas this was a pretty clear slew foot. After kind of thinking it was maybe egregious to give him three games to this, I think it was the right call. You know, leave it to George Peros and the Department of Player Safety to make me argue with him. I agree that a slew foot should be punishable in this way. It's just we've seen so many of them already this season that have gone unpunished, like uh, P.K. Subban, I believe, on Ryan Reeves. P.K. Subban's done it a couple of times this season. We've seen a number of them already. Uh, we saw them policed at the end of last year, but not so much the beginning of this season. So what differentiates the P.K. Subban slewfoots from the Marshawn slewfoots is the upper body aspect, where you know usually where P.K. Subban essentially had committed three slewfoots this month, uh, but they were the kind where he was coming in behind with a wide stance and he took out one of the guy's legs. There was no upper body in it. Whereas Marshawn, you know, gets his upper body in it and really like flips the guy and, you know, has a high chance of resulting in a head injury or worse. So I think there was a bit of a uh, injury potential calculus there. I thought the PK Subban ones were super malicious. And because of that, should have resulted in at least a fine, if not a suspension. And so that's where I have issue is that like, why are those not even called into question? Whereas this one was, but I do agree that a slew foot should always result in a suspension of some sort. Like that's, it's, it's one of the most dangerous plays in hockey. Looking back, like I kind of did some research and looking back at previous slew foots, like it should have been a penalty you know, maybe for a, maybe gotten a fine. I don't know if it's congruent to suspend him. Because, uh, Mark Giordano committed almost an identical slew foot going into the boards in 2013. He received a two-minute minor 
and a $10,000 fine seems more or less appropriate. Um, you know, maybe even a five for Slewfoot, like that would have been the appropriate response. So I think the Department of Player Safety has gone over overboard because, you know, he hadn't received any sort of punishment yet. Yeah, in other uh, boys behaving badly. Um, so in a move that surprises very few people, the son of Claude Lemieux is a cowardly turd. Um, a guest. Yeah, who would have seen that coming? Uh, Brendan Lemieux and Brady Kachuk got in a fight over the weekend, I believe. And in this fight, uh, Brendan Lemieux bit Brady Kachuk on the hands, not once, but twice. I was hoping it was three times so I could say thrice, but here we are. <laughs> There's this video from the penalty box of Brady Kachuk showing the refs on his hands where Brendan Lemieux bit him. Like, if this were a murder case they would be able to tell that Brendan Lemieux was the, was the culprit or at least had come by to try and get a snack uh, by the, the dental imprints on Brady's hands. Um, Brendan Lemieux was given a five minute major for fighting and given a misconduct penalty for what I'm going to guess was unsportsmanlike conduct, but might as well have been biting. He was also given a rabies vaccine after the uh, after the game. He's lucky he was not a raccoon. Otherwise, they would have had to put him down. <laughs> Brady Kachuk, for his troubles, was given a five-minute major for fighting and also given a tetanus shot after the game. Brendan Lemieux was given a five-game suspension after an in-person hearing with the Department of Player Safety. This seems like the smaller punishment between the two uh, of being getting a five game misconduct or getting a five game suspension and like forfeiting like 38 K in salary or now possibly being an even bigger embarrassment than your father. Uh, so you uh, when it's someone in his own day. Yeah. And in a famous turtle, Claude Lemieux uh, is, you know, widely regarded as a, jerk and, uh, who nobody likes and it turns out his son is the exact same way which is actually something that Brady Kachuk said in the post-game interview that nobody likes him and that he'll be out of the league in a couple of years because he's also not that good which was hilarious uh that was that's his some post-game presser was so epic like just reading the transcript it's just like damn Oh, damn. He ruined this man's whole life. Made all the more hilarious when someone took the transcript and paid Gilbert Gottfried to read the whole thing in a video. I encourage people to look up the Gilbert Gottfried Brady Kachuk rant because it's so funny. I mean, like, you know, Brady Kachuk, when he said this stuff, was like actively pissed. Like Gilbert Gottfried is like, like, he's like, why am I reading this? I'm doing this for a paycheck, uh, but I'm going to put my all into it. And uh, yeah, this whole situation was just bonker. I, I almost want to like thank Brendan Lemieux for, you know, giving us this insane memory to have. And, and like the, the poetic thing of son and dad both biting people while in the NHL. Like you can't make this shit up. 
first off, Gilbert Gottfried is a treasure and we need to keep him in our lives as much as possible. Uh, second, it's like there's like little angels and a little devil. This is a devil, apparently. I don't know what that hand gesture is. Um, I'm not used to being on camera, uh, but sitting on Brendan's shoulders and they're both his dad and they're both going, bite him, bite him, like fucking Gollum biting the ring off of Frodo's finger. Like this wasn't a reenactment of the, the fight at Mount Doom. This was an NHL hockey game and you don't get to bite people in it, you jerk. Yeah, this was this was crazy. You know, a whole lot of people kind of came out after Brady kind of called Brendan Lemieux out and said, yeah, actually, he's not very well liked. Um, I think uh, uh, Jonathan Quick kind of came out on Brendan Lemieux's side as a teammate is want to do. Um, but I think everyone just kind of agreed that this is pretty congruent with the type of player that Brendan Lemieux is. And yeah, it, it, it was pretty, pretty egregious and he'll probably have to answer for it. One of the nice things that surfaced out of this was a video of Claude at Lemieux and Keith Kachuk fighting in like 1992. That was pretty funny. Um, uh, this whole situation was ridiculous. And honestly, I, am here for the next couple of years of the Kachucks just running Brennan Lemieux in hockey games because of this incident. Now we're going to, we're going to end this week's episode on some, just some fun, just some fun. Uh, if you there, haven't already had fun with the biting, this is a, a long theme of this episode is fun. Uh, so Jersey got a Jersey in New Jersey. It's technically a sweater. I mean, if we're going to be all, all hockey terminology about it. Yeah, it says Jersey on the front. It's like they just labeled what it was. Um, we'll get to the one that was actually worse than this in a minute, but like this, uh, it's a third Jersey for the Devils. Uh, like They have a great color scheme. They have a great historical color scheme with green uh, also in their jerseys. They are the devils, so you can do a ton of cool stuff with it. Like, why why do something as like lame and boring as Jersey? I mean, I to separate sort of like the the jersey from the rest of the, the sweater, like I, I thought that you know, just saying jersey on the front was pretty sweet. Like it's kind of like postmodern you know you can lean in with a bunch of uh, uh like merch that says like hat um i think dougie hamilton was spotted in a hat that said hat on it um you know the, the whole like this is not a pipe like jersey jersey i don't know i think that's hilarious from a design perspective but the rest of the sweater was pretty boring you know, some people like on Twitter and Instagram, like took some elements from their regular Jersey, added it to this Jersey and made it much better. So, you know, it, good move, but poor execution, at least in my eyes. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, Honestly, third jerseys are almost never better than what the team usually wears, but it just seems like 
there's a complete lack of creativity in a lot of these design studios lately. Um, speaking of which, Nashville, uh, yeah. who is playing in the stadium series against Tampa Bay this year, um, put out their Smashville jersey, and it's uh, appalling. It's kind of smash-worthy. It's basically just a primer on what not to do from a typographical and jersey design standpoint. Some of the letters are cropped. All of the letters seem random sizes. There's a guitar pick in the middle with like Goku's, you know, orbs on that. And then the the, Dragon uh, Balls. And then the C for Captain or A is like, it's like halfway off the fucking shoulder. It, it, It looks like the C is trying to run away from the rest of the jersey. Yeah, it's absolutely abhorrent. Like, I don't even hate the idea. Smashville's whatever. This jersey is just bad. I don't even know if it's a good idea. What what really irks me about this is that there were ideas that they turned down that were worse. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe Maybe the designer was like, proposed that as like, the shitty idea to set up a bunch of other better looking concepts. And then the owner was like, Oh no, I like that one. Like that happens in architecture and design all the time that, you know, the, the, uh, the play is really like, don't ever allow a design concept out that you can't live with is what I've been taught because you never know what an owner is going to choose. Yeah. It, it, it's so ridiculous. Hockey sweaters shouldn't be these like, egregious like hyper complex organisms like they're they're better they're best they're at their best when they're basic and this smashville jersey is just like this cluttered mess it's super busy and like just 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 stop just just. (laughs) stop (sighs) while you're behind nashville quit inviting creed to sing at your arena don't ally yourselves with Dave Portnoy. Like, let's just, just don't do that. Yeah. Don't, don't do all of the things you're doing lately. Uh, One thing that, that should be done. And we're going to end with this. Austin Matthews posted on Instagram. I believe that if he raised $134,000 for Movember, he would shave off his i guess now iconic mustache november you know every november obviously uh men all across the country raise awareness and money for movember who works with a lot of men's issues like mental health suicide prostate cancer testicular cancer by surpassing his goal austin matthews vowed to uh to shave off his mustache he shaved it off and I, it was weird. I watched the next Maple Leafs game and I was like, who is this boy? And what has he done with his porn stash? Yeah, was, he kind of just looks odd. like an average like high school swimmer now. You know, like, <laughs> like what did, wait, did you wax your legs too? Um, it was super funny too. He took a picture like with mustache and then without the mustache, but with his very hairy, large dog. And everyone's like, oh, <laughs> Uh, your mustache was just a dog the whole time. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, it's real weird to see him. And uh, I don't know. I kind of miss the mustache. It, it's going to take some time to get used to, for sure. Like, it's like the first time you see your dad without facial hair. I've never seen my dad without facial hair. So I've, I, I don't know what that is like. But it was like, it was that jarring. It was weird to see. But honestly, like $134,000 is a lot of money. And that can go a long way in the right hands. And kudos to Austin Matthews for being awesome about that. That's super cool. Kudos to Austin Matthews. And we're going to leave you on that awesome news. Um, so thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we you know, didn't put out an episode because of the holiday, and then we would have had one earlier, but I have gotten sick for the second time since I got my flu shot. So that's awesome. Thanks, science. Knew not to trust you. If you're looking to interact with us on the internets in weird places, and by weird, I mean social media, because it's fucking weird. Find us anywhere on the internets. Uh, We have a website, handsomehockey.com, Handsome Hockey Podcast on Instagram, at Handsome Hockey on Twitter, or you can email us at the handsome hockey or handsome hockey pod at gmail.com. And we have a reasonably active Facebook page. We have real jobs, so we aren't as active on social media as we should be if we're trying to promote this thing. But uh, yeah, check us out, interact with us there. And, you know, you might get us to follow your podcast because you've probably got a podcast too. Yeah. We know everybody we know has a hockey podcast. Obviously, you're listening to us somewhere, but we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Red Circle, and uh, maybe on YouTube. We might actually put some video up. So uh, if you are watching on YouTube, go you, and you can see me doing some jazz fingers. And we're sorry that you're actually looking at us. You know, we have a lot of fun doing this and commenting on all things hockey. So stay in touch. Yeah. Have a great uh, weekend. We'll get this out as soon as possible. Everybody take care and stay handsome, everyone. Restez beau, tout le monde.